0: Thank you, Pastor Bobby. We're thrilled to be here. So many memories. Many of you will not know me. Others, uh, you get second-hand information. Hope that you're not too disappointed. I once asked Dr. John Stott, how many books have you written? He said, that's like the sin of David numbering the people. And, uh, but it's now 80. Uh, God has blessed me with uh, a writing ministry, and and it's still going on. Uh, This is an unprecedented day. The first time our three grandsons have heard me preach. Toby, Timothy, and Ty. They're all named after T.R. Tobias Robert, Timothy Robert, Tyndale Robert, and uh, never before have we all been together when I've preached. So this is a special occasion for me. Louise and I love coming here. So many memories. Uh, Annette, TR's wife, is having a day of rest f- free from the boys for a whole day. Uh, but uh, thank you for having me, Bobby. And Tell Toya that I will forgive her for... Avoiding me this time. (laughs) Tell her I said she's running from God. (laughs) You may recall I had a little bit to do with Robbie being here. And uh, you've made me proud, if you want to know. And stay here. They're going to find out about you all over America. You just stay here. We have a hard time choosing what books to bring. Uh, we used to sell them for $10, but we lost money because we had to pay for the postage and the shipping and all that. So he's going to have to ask 12 just so that we don't lose. But, uh, and I'll be back to sign them if that helps get rid of them. And uh, it's just good to be with you. you. Uh, Word, Spirit, Power Conferences. I don't. Was it 2009 I was here for the first time? I think it was before then. I, I'd have to go look at my diary. I thought it was nearly 20 years ago. Do you remember I made uh, Doc Shell, Doctor Doc Shell. I gave him his doctrine. Doc uh, and June stayed in touch with us. He'd be here today, but he's preaching elsewhere. Uh, Charles, 90 years old, uh, we stay in touch. I preach regularly for Times Square Church in New York City. And the pastor, Tim Delina, spent three hours with Charles the day before yesterday. He's doing fine. And then since I was here last, I got the news we were in Anchorage, Alaska, several months ago, that Jack went to heaven. And I was told that his last words were, I thought RT would call me. <laughs> I did. I couldn't reach him anyway. So many members. I brought John Paul Jackson here. So it's nice to be invited. And I trust that I will have a word uh, that is from God. I want to read to you uh, from two or three verses scattered in Matthew 5. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. It was St. Augustine who referred to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as the Sermon on the Mount. That was back uh, in the 4th century, and that stuck. And so it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you can read in Luke, you can call it the Sermon on the Plain it's a debate did he preach this sermon more than once uh how come Matthew says he went up on a mountain and Luke says he came down to a plain uh my own view is he preached this over several days and what we have is uh a summary of the original sermon uh And as for one of them saying it came down, another saying going up, I I can tell you, it has been established by a German archaeologist who wasn't a Christian, wasn't Israeli, who had done a a careful study. And I've actually been to the spot. Uh, If you're in Capernaum, you go up the mountain, and there's a level place. If you're coming down from the other end, you come down from the mountain to this level place. So some people would come down, others would go up. And the truth is, there's an area about the size of a football field where the people would sit. And then the acoustics on the mountainside are so amazing that I was there and I actually read from the Sermon on the Mount with my friend up on the top of the mountain. And he could hear me perfectly. It's very interesting. In any case, seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach. I want to read verse 17, where Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then verse 20, very interesting verse, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, may God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word, brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple, and I pray that this will be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've been asked by your pastor to introduce the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the key to understanding the sermon is to see it as Jesus' doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Here's why. When you read John 14, 15, and 16, yes, that's when Jesus prepared his disciples for the Holy Spirit to come. But Matthew 5, 6, and 7 shows how you live when you come to have the Holy Spirit indwell you in an ungrieved way. Now, when I speak of the ungrieved spirit, this is the key. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a very sensitive person. He can be easily grieved. Ephesians 4 verse 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit. The word grieve comes from a Greek word that means get your feelings hurt. The Holy Spirit can get his feelings hurt. And you say, well, he ought not be like that. But that's the way he is. And he's the only Holy Spirit you've got, and you need to adjust to his ways. And so he can be grieved. You say, well, how do we grieve him? Well, the chief way, according to Paul, is when we get angry, lose our temper, hold a grudge, refuse to forgive, and the Holy Spirit is grieved. Now, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Never doubt that. Don't let anybody tell you uh, that they don't have the Holy Spirit because they don't have this gift or another gift. Romans 8, 9, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. His. So, all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but not all have the Holy Spirit in them ungrieved. So, when the Holy Spirit is in you, but you have lost your temper, got angry, or had thoughts that are evil, what happens is that the dove of the Holy Spirit just kind of lifts. It doesn't mean you've lost the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said he will abide with you forever. But you lose the sense of his presence. And when that happens, you don't manifest the kind of holy living described in the Sermon on the Mount. And so the key is this. You say, well, RT, the word Holy Spirit is not even in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about the book of Esther. Esther. One of the most God centered books in the Old Testament. The word God's not even there. It's not, you, you miss the point. One cannot live like this apart from the ungrieved spirit. And so when Jesus starts out with the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are those that are poor in spirit, the word blessed comes from a greek word that is best translated congratulations because if you have come to experience the ungrieved spirit this is a a remarkable accomplishment and jesus begins at what you could call you could call a lower level of holy living because you begin with poor of spirit You graduate to meekness, purity of heart, being a peacemaker, and then persecution. And so what we have in the Beatitudes, I would call it Jesus' text, because he gives us the Beatitudes, and then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount would be an unfolding of the Beatitudes. And that's the best way to understand the Sermon on the Mount. Well, now, the kingdom of heaven, what is it? It is the realm of the ungrieved Holy Spirit. And that is when we can sense in another person one who is living in the Spirit. Uh, What does Paul mean by unity of the Spirit? It was interesting. The pastor read Psalm 133, blessed are, are those that when they, the joy of unity, you know, there's nothing more wonderful. Uh, you see, the ungrieved spirit in me will sense the ungrieved spirit in you, and so you and I are talking together because uh, we're walking in the spirit, uh, we didn't lose our tempers, with our wives or on the way to church when you lose the keys you get upset and you think oh what's going on those things just cause a dove to fly away when you're just wanting the will of God more than anything and uh, so there's two talking a third person comes along and you said ah he she too enjoying the ungrieved spirit and then a fifth person comes and they start saying, you know what's wrong with this place? And immediately think, oh no. You see, it just takes one to break that fellowship. You see, the most wonderful thing in the world is when everybody living in the realm of the ungrieved spirit so that you sense the presence of God. That's the unity of the spirit. And so imagine... Uh, uh, when all in this place all of us enjoy the ungrieved spirit uh imagine it means that god could just come down anytime do whatever he wants and this is something lacking in churches everywhere i think one of the first sermons i ever preached here years ago total forgiveness uh You never outgrow the need for this. I could preach it probably every week and somebody would need it because it's so easy to hold a grudge. Well, the word blessed is best translated congratulations because that means that you are enjoying a level of the presence of God that most people would know nothing about. And so, the Beatitudes are examples of this. Now, there are two kinds of faith. For example, there is saving faith. That's what gets you to heaven. There is persevering faith. That is the way you enter the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is our destiny. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed that a man wants to die after death, the judgment. What enables you to go to heaven? Saving faith. What enables you to enter the kingdom of heaven, which is here below? Now, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they're the same thing, by the way. Uh, John would refer to kingdom of God, Matthew, kingdom of heaven. Uh, It's the same thing. What enables you to enter this? It is persevering faith. Now, being born again qualifies you. But when Paul said with Barnabas, referred to in Acts 14, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean you get saved by tribulation. But it means entering into the kingdom of God is a very... Rare thing to do. And that means you come to experience God here on earth. You feel His presence. You know His presence. You see, the followers of Jesus, every single one of them, thought that kingdom meant the overthrowing of Rome. See, every Jew, every Jew assumed that when Messiah came, He would overthrow Rome. And Jesus gave them every hint. That's not what I've come to do. But they didn't believe it. They kept thinking it. Jesus would say the kingdom of heaven is not by observation. You know, it's not physical. Uh, The kingdom of God is within you. They didn't get it. And even after, listen to this, even after... Jesus was raised from the dead, and they saw him. They saw him eat fish, and they felt him. Even then, they still thought he was going to overthrow Rome. In fact, the disciples got into a little huddle, and they said, look, look, we don't know what's going on. You know, after the resurrection, he would show up and disappear. Show up, disappear. They didn't know what was going on. And I can imagine they got together and said, look, next time, next time he shows up, we're going to ask him what's going on here. So they did. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And it was an ill-posed question. And Jesus wouldn't even answer it. He just says, look, it's not for you to know. But I can tell you one thing. Stay in Jerusalem and you will receive power and then it'll all become clear and it wasn't until after pentecost it wasn't until after the holy spirit came down that they got it they saw why he died on a cross they saw why all these teachings they saw why he was raised from the dead and their concept was radically changed but not until they were filled with the spirit It goes to show until we're full of the Holy Spirit, we can be so full of our biases, and even though we hear good teaching, if it goes against what we want to believe, we just reject it. And so many of us, we read the Bible to get ammunition for what we believe to be true. And it's only when we are spirit-filled, and even then we need all the patience and guidance we can, that we actually understand what the Bible is saying. And the Sermon on the Mount is understood when you realize that the kingdom of heaven is not physical, but it's when the kingdom comes down to where we are and we indwell it to the degree the Holy Spirit is ungrieved in us. And so saving faith is what enables you to go to heaven. Now, the first hint of this, you could say, is in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 when Jesus said I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets but to fulfill Dr. Mart Lloyd-Jones said this is the most stupendous comment that Jesus ever made I will fulfill the law Think about it. Nobody had ever done this before, and Jesus said, "I'm going to do it." The law of Moses is threefold: The moral law, Ten Commandments, ceremonial law, the way the people of Israel should govern themselves, the ceremonial law, which you have in Leviticus, how the people of God should worship. And so, Jesus said, I'm going to fulfill the law. And you realize there are 2,000 pieces of legislation? And nobody had ever done that before. And Jesus said, I will do it. Well, how would he do it? By keeping his eyes on his father, resisting temptation. Uh, it was started out by his parents. He was circumcised the eighth day. That's step one. But... It was something the parents did for him. But as he grew up, he kept his eyes on his father. And he did everything for you and me that we could get to heaven. Do you realize what it takes to get you to heaven? You've got to be perfect in thought, word, deed, 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours a day, every day of your life. You think, well, nobody can do that. (laughs) Quite right. And then when Jesus said, I will, you think, how could he do it? But he did. He fulfilled the law. He kept it. He was even baptized for you. Do you ever wonder why Jesus was baptized? He didn't need to be. Because John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent. And so when he's standing in the queue to be baptized and John the Baptist recognized him, said, I'm not going to baptize you. You baptize me. "Oh yes, you will, said Jesus, to fulfill righteousness. In other words, everything required of you and me to get to heaven, Jesus did. So he kept the law. And he kept saying, I've come to do the Father's work and finish his work. And then on the cross, John 19, verse 30, before he died, he uttered the words, Tetelestai, it is finished. Greek translation, it is finished was a colloquial expression in the ancient marketplace that meant paid in full. So when Jesus said, tetelesta, it is finished. I've done what I said I would do. I've come to fulfill the law. I did it in thought, word, and deed. 60 seconds, a minute, 60 minutes, an hour, 24 hours a day, every day of his life. So that when you and I come to the place that we give up any hope, of being saved by our good works, but we transfer the trust that we had in our good works to what Jesus did for us on the cross, we are as righteous as Jesus. His righteousness is put to our credit, and that's how we get to heaven. We can sing with a hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy lean on jesus name on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand so the way i know i'm going to get to heaven is because jesus did everything for me you say well then if he was baptized for you why do you need to be to show you're unashamed If he kept the law for you, why live a holy life? As gratitude to God shows that you're thankful that you're going to heaven. The doctrine of sanctification is the doctrine of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Then, Jesus begins to unfold his interpretation of the Ten Commandments. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he only refers to three of the Ten Commandments. As an example, for example, he starts out by saying, You've heard that it has been said that, if you, that you should not murder. Uh, but I say unto you, if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. Now, here's the thing. The Pharisees had kept the law quite well. In fact, outwardly, you could not find any fault with a Pharisee. And they said they kept the law because they haven't killed anybody physically. But then Jesus begins to talk about forgiving. And if you hold a grudge because you hate, you've committed murder. And no one ever said this before. You can be a good Pharisee and hate, but according to Jesus, you've committed murder. Or he goes to the next commandment, commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. A Pharisee felt that he kept the Ten Commandments because he had not slept with another man's wife. And they wouldn't do that. But then Jesus comes along and says, but if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. This may shock you, but you could be a good Pharisee and watch pornography. You're not sleeping with another man's wife, but you're lusting. And when Jesus comes along and says, as I read a while ago, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Whatever does he mean? How could anybody improve on the righteousness of the Pharisees? The answer is a Pharisee could lust. But Jesus said, you're not allowed to do that. You must resist. You must forgive instead of holding a grudge. You must stop lusting in order to honor your father. And so this is a level of righteousness that the Pharisees hadn't even thought about. And that's why Jesus says that unless your righteousness exceeds, theirs was outward. The righteousness in the kingdom of heaven is inward. And it says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, They all all were astonished at his doctrine with authority and things they never thought about. And I think today the Sermon on the Mount could be equally astonishing because people in the church will point the finger, hold grudges, marriage breaks down because you can't forgive, And the number of people in the church, and I don't have any knowledge, but I would be willing to say, there are people here, you watch pornography, and you love it. You say, well, it's harmless. Well, the question is, do you want the Sermon on the Mount to be your guide? Close preaching. You say, RT, you've quit preaching and gone to (laughs) Medlin. Look, this is why Jesus said, blessed are you. Congratulations. Few there be that find it. Most people go and do these things. It doesn't bother them. Doesn't bother them. What's the third commandment that Jesus deals with? Well, It's not explicit until you know the context and you think about it. It's the third commandment. Do you know what the third commandment says? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, the superficial understanding of that is that, well, you shouldn't curse. You shouldn't use bad language. Of course, that would be taking the name of God in vain. But that's not what he meant. He meant, don't misuse the name of the Lord. Don't abuse it. And the way they abused it was saying, I swear by God, I'm telling you the truth. They're using God. And Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. Why do you say, I swear by God? Jesus said, just tell the truth. You don't need to bring God's name into it. If you're telling the truth, you don't need to appeal to him. Translate this into so much prophetic ministry today. And how often do you hear people say, the Lord told me. Up in heaven, God hears you say, the Lord told me. And God says, did I say that? And so many Christians... They get an impression, and they say, the Lord told me this. Be very careful. You're using God's name. And one of the worst things that's happened in the last couple of years in America, was that all these prophetic people said God told them who would be the next person in the Oval Office said donald trump will serve a second term how do you know god told me well he's not in the white house oh democrats stole the election wait a minute didn't god know that would happen why didn't god tell you in advance that the democrats would steal the election you see what these people do They prophesy what they wanted to be true. And then had the audacity to say God told them. And God says, I didn't tell you that. Here's my point. They name drop God. I'm having such a close relationship with him. God told me this. And that is abusing the name of the Lord. God doesn't like it. I'm not taking political sides here at all. I'm telling you, this is the way you can abuse the name of the Lord. See, either God knows the future or he doesn't. And St. Augustine said, "If a God who doesn't know the future is not God. Of course, God knows what's going to happen. How come these prophetic people didn't hear from God? but they only prophesied what they wanted now listen we've all made this mistake and said the Lord told me Jesus said stop you don't need to say the Lord told you if you want something just say I want this if you believe something I believe this and if God really did tell you you don't need to say that just tell the truth and then someone else will say hey that must have been the Lord well then that way they tell it not you name-dropping, God is breaking the third commandment. So what I'm saying to you today, Jesus comes along and gives an interpretation of the Ten Commandments, and he only mentions three, at least what we have here, in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, there are two kinds of reward. And we find this in, for example, Matthew chapter 6. What are the two kinds of reward? One is when people praise you. The other is when God praises you. And so you make a decision. Which means more to you when people praise you or when God praises you? Well, the Pharisees wanted the praise of people and so if they're going to make a contribution uh, they wouldn't do it unless a lot of people found out about it and so they'd get a band together trombones flutes violins start playing and then I'm going to announce that I'm giving money you know what Jesus said said they get their reward they've got it that's it The praise of people. If that's what you want, you've got it. And so there are people that if they give, they want the world to know. If they give, they want people to know. Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. There's a sense in which we don't even tell ourselves. We just give to God and let him bless us as he wills. But I don't tell you that I put money in the plate. See, this is a different level of teaching. No one had ever heard anything like it. And you see, when you pray, the Pharisee didn't want to pray unless people heard him pray. Jesus said, go into your closet and shut the door and then God will see you. But the reward the Pharisees got was people saw them. I never will forget when I was a little boy, young teenager... About the age of Toby, I didn't know what that verse meant. It says, enter into your closet and shut the door. We lived on 1917 Hilton Avenue, Ashland, Kentucky. Yeah, well, that's true. I'm a Kentuckian. Uh, look, don't get jealous. I don't blame you. You can't help it. I mean, some are born in Tennessee. Tennessee. We forgive you. <laughs> I'm a Kentuckian. As a teenager, I actually went into my little closet in my bedroom, shut the door, and I bumped into clothes and hangers. And I was—I prayed. I took it literally. I wanted to go into my closets to please God. I think God honored that. As a teenager, I read my Bible regularly. I prayed, Toby, you're doing that. You make me proud, son. What did Jesus mean? He means that you talk to God and you don't need to tell anybody. They don't need to know how many minutes or hours you pray because you want God's praise. Or when they fasted. If they fasted a Pharisee, they would discolor themselves or disfigure their face, have their hair all messed up, so everybody would say, "Oh, what a godly person you've been fasting." Jesus said, "Comb your hair. Don't let anybody know you've been fasting. That way, God rewards you." This is another level of the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, and so we're talking about a high level. Of Christian living the kingdom of heaven these are principles and uh, those who don't understand the Sermon on the Mount they'll take it one word they'll they'll pick up one word about love oh the teaching of Jesus about love they don't even know what that means but so many people don't understand these things and what I think your pastor wants to do in the next few weeks is to help you to understand what Jesus really taught and the level of living that will glorify God you'll never be the same again God will honor this church and uh, then the last part of the Sermon on the Mount is just about practical living danger of judging do you ever want to judge by the way, I, I didn't know what books we brought to sell. The, uh, one of my latest is, uh, Chances Are You Might Be a Pharisee, If. Got the idea from the redneck book. Who's the guy who wrote that, You Might Be a Redneck? Yeah. I wanted to get his permission to, to write this book. And the publisher said, No, just go ahead. You don't need to. I, I think he would have been glad. But, uh, but how to know that you might be a Pharisee. Uh, do you find it easy to point the finger at people? For example, I give 25 examples. Uh, I'm, I didn't mean to push this book. We shouldn't have even brought it to you. But anyway, it's there. Uh, the importance of persistent prayer. And let me bring this sermon to a close now. The accidental effects of living the Sermon on the Mount. When I say accidental, it's because if you live like this, there'll be an effect that you weren't thinking about. For example, you're in a great trial. Storm comes. Lightning. Flashing. Wind. Some people cave in. Others are able to stand the storm. Storm. By living like this, you don't panic in a trial. By living according to Jesus, you're just different from everybody else. It goes to pieces. COVID is an example. You don't need to panic. If you get COVID and go to heaven, (laughs) it's a win win. If you live, fine, but don't panic. It's just an example. And those who panic so quickly, complain. You see, it's because they were not built on a rock. The teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is when you build on a rock. It's solid. Now, this is a level of Christianity, I think, many have not even considered. Yet, it's been there all the time. Well, you may recall, we used to have word, spirit, power conferences. I was the word man, never got very into it because we all three preached and Jack would emphasize the Holy Spirit, Charles' power, falling and so forth. Nothing wrong with that. We wanted to show them together. But because your pastors asked me to speak on this, i will take you a little more deeply than you've ever heard me speak before. Uh, which I was very happy to do. But this will show you what we mean by the word. And it's the same Holy Spirit, ungrieved, that will enable you to live like this. And then, just maybe, God will give you power. Maybe he'll give you a prophetic gift. And you don't have to go up and somebody say, God told me this. Just say, look, I have a feeling maybe you should do this yeah okay you didn't bring god's name into it same with healing all the gifts of the spirit make sure that you want to honor god you may want the blessing of people i prefer his honor it's worth everything last question ask anybody here, do you know for sure, and don't think of the person next to you, what about you, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven, do you? If you stand before God, you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven What would you say whatever would you say if God says why should I let you into my heaven what comes to your mind right now right now it should have already come to your mind right now if it did not come to your mind because Jesus died for me on the cross or the equivalent the blood of Jesus be trusting the blood of Jesus if that did not come to your mind already I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world but we can change all that I can lead you in a prayer I want you to pray it in your heart don't need to say it out loud but if you need to pray this prayer right now just say this Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. that's it that's the prayer did you pray that prayer i think somebody prayed that prayer question are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer why do you ask (laughs) rt because jesus said if you're ashamed of me i'll be ashamed of you jesus said if you confess me before men i'll confess you before my father If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to confess it. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. But in the next 10, 12 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. You sit in front of all these people? Yep. And don't look around. You may be the only one. All you have to do by standing saying, I'm not ashamed. I prayed that prayer. Five, four, three. Two, one, stand up. They're standing all over the place. Any more? Unashamed. There. Look at it. Good. Good. Stay standing just for a minute. Into the balcony. Yes. 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 Now let me say this. It's possible that before today you were already saved, but when you heard the gospel with clarity, you just grabbed it. Good. If you've never confessed openly like this before, or never prayed a prayer like this, and you've stood and you've prayed the prayer, and it's new, you know what just happened? You've just been born again. God bless you, be seated.